Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1055 of the Juicebox Podcast. Let's see what we've got for you today. Hmm. Alex is married with children. She's had type 1 diabetes for 34 years, diagnosed at three years old. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, Alex and her wife have fostered children and also have a child themselves. Ooh, artificial insemination. There's a, this is a good story. What do we got here? Uh, you know what? I'm not giving the rest of this away. No, I'm not telling you the rest of this. You'll have to listen if you want to know. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group. Juicebox Podcast, type 1 diabetes, 43,000 members strong, over 120 new posts every day. There's a conversation happening right now that needs you, wants you, or would benefit from your experience or presence. What am I saying? Go to Juicebox Podcast, type 1 diabetes on Facebook. Join the group. Find your community. I'm not going to put any ads on this episode today because I want to take this time to tell you about the series within the podcast. There is so much that you may not know about if you're a new listener. For instance, the After Dark series. There are, gosh, I don't even know, dozens of After Dark episodes going all the way back to episode 274. Stuff's about weed sex, depression, self-harm, psychedelics, heroin addiction, all this stuff with people living with type 1 diabetes. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com, go to the top, click on After Dark to see a complete list. There's also Ask Scott and Jenny episodes. Those are questions sent in by listeners that Jenny Smith and I have answered. An entire series of algorithm pumping episodes. Find out about Omnipod 5, Tandem, T-Slamaya, Control IQ, uh, all the loop IAPS, it's all in there. I mean, so much. You want to to hear from a tandem pump trainer? We have that. You want to hear from Kenny Fox? Gives a three-episode tour de force about using loop. I've got um, a three-episode series with Omnipod about starting your Omnipod 5. There's the Bold Beginning series for people who are newly diagnosed. It's sort of like um, the Pro Tip series, but not as intense. It's great for people who are newly diagnosed or a little timid. Bold Beginnings. Go check that out. How about Defining Diabetes? Definitions for every diabetes term you can think of. It's kind of hard to do something when you don't know what it is. So with Defining Diabetes, you get short, fun episodes that define those words for you and help you to put them into context. Defining Thyroid. The Diabetes Pro Tip Series, episode 1000 to 1026. Completely newly remastered. Absolutely. Look, I don't say this very often. You listen to the Pro Tip series and understand it a little bit, you're looking at A1C in the sixes. You understand it a lot, low sixes. If you really understand it, I bet you get in the high fives. I'm talking about no diet restrictions. Diabetesprotip.com or episode 1000 to 1026 in your podcast app. There's the variable series, mental wellness, type 2 pro tips, how we eat, and so much more. Use the website, juiceboxpodcast.com. Look around, see what's there. And if you need something specific or you can't find something, go to the private Facebook group and ask. There are 
group experts in there that would be happy to answer your questions or tag me. I'd be happy to answer as well. My name's Alex. I am a wife, a mom, and have been type 1 diabetic for 34, 34 years now. Wait, thir- and you just told me you were 37 before we started recording? Yep. Wow, you were three when you were diagnosed. Just after my third birthday, like oh. 10 days after I turned three. Well, I'm interested. Okay. <laughs> 34 years ago. All right, just real quickly. Sure. May, may I? Absolutely. It's, it's 2023. So basically, I just have to I just have to subtract 11 from 100, which is 89. So you were diagnosed in 1989? Yes, March 21st of 89 to be specific. Let the people who are listening just soak it up for a second. Just let's be quiet. <laughs> There's the backwards way my brain works around math, by the way. What, how I get to the end result. I mean, math is definitely not my strong suit either. So you got there faster than I would have been able to. Seriously? <laughs> With my broken idea of mathematics? I was like, well, it's 2023, so I'll take 23 off, and then 10 off is 90, and then one more is 89. <laughs> yeah, it got there. I'm incredibly embarrassed by that. Okay, um... Well, you must not have known much that was happening then, right? So I guess my first thought is, what's your first kind of recollection memory of having diabetes? During the whole diagnose process, and I'll kind of give that whole story because it really goes into, if a parent thinks there's something wrong with your kiddo, like you need to be your kid's advocate because when I was diagnosed... 89, like we said, like diabetes wasn't as prevalent in kids. So they weren't testing me for it. So the earliest memory I have is actually going in to an MRI machine because they were doing like bone scans because I couldn't walk more than like 20 feet without wanting my parents to carry me. Knowing now, because obviously like my body wasn't working, I couldn't walk anymore. So they were testing me for like leukemias, blood cancers, like bone diseases. And I just remember being, I think I was probably still two, maybe just three at the time thinking, what is this very scary loud machine? <laughs> mm, wow. I, 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 Alex, I can't imagine that you remember that. That's fascinating to me. I think it was just so, like it was a very white, stark room and then like an MRI. So like this huge machine that, you go inside. So as a kid, it must have been just on the brink of traumatizing enough that it just stuck in my brain. Because yeah, you know, childhood amnesia, there's no real reason I should remember that. (laughs) But I do. And then snippets of the hospital, but not very much. Like I really don't remember too much about diabetes until entering like kindergarten. Okay. And then all that loud banging from the MRI machine, too. Probably, yeah. yeah like probably It was probably just a pretty freaky experience. That's incredible. Well, hey, you didn't have bone cancer. That's good. That is a positive, absolutely. So after they... <laughs> all that they tested me for, I will honestly take diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a, that's a valuable way to think of it. Hey, quick side <laughs> note. You don't have to tell me where you live, but you've said kiddo. 
Are you near the Wisconsin, Chicago, Minnesota area? Milwaukee area. Yeah. I, okay. Are you impressed, Alex? I am very impressed. That's <laughs> That was really good. I've never heard somebody use the word kiddo with frequency other than my sister-in-law, who's from Wisconsin. That's amazing. Okay. I do remember hearing you say your brother lives in Wisconsin or at one point did. I'm not sure if they're still here. Oh, yeah. They're close to you. Okay, cool. I I mean, I'm more impressed with the kiddo uh, thing than I am with the math thing. And (laughs) so I just need a second to soak up how good I feel right now. I'll be honest. That's pretty impressive. You came, you narrowed that scope down pretty close. Alex, I um, am so uh, uniquely qualified to make a podcast because I pay attention to things that I don't think anybody else cares about. What? Your podcast fantastic. I'll, I love the whole thing, and you are always pretty spot on with your very good educated assumptions and guesses. Like People, I think, are always pretty impressed with that. Oh, I can tell you like me because you didn't call it generalizations and assumptions. No. <laughs> Listen, I, I, you know, you see things enough times, you know, absolutely is a rule. And I've never heard anyone say kiddo before, except for her. All right. Well, I, you know, I will probably say it a couple more times. So I'm glad it at least doesn't put a face to a name, but you can at least now (laughs) know a little bit about me without knowing much about me. Alex is like, you can't find my house, but you have a little more context. (laughs) Just Excellent. So your early remembrances of diabetes, do they come in forms of conversations with your parents? Like I'm trying to figure out how often frequently and in depth your parents discussed your childhood with you. You know, they've always been really open anytime I've asked questions. So I know this is always a conversation about is it quote unquote better to be diagnosed earlier or later? For me, I don't know any other world. So it was always just part of what we did. So I think they always did a very good job of involving me in a conversation that was age appropriate or my interest led. So as I got into grade school, they kind of more explained the whys and the whats and We were very fortunate that my mom connected with like three or four other moms. So I knew a small population of other type ones, which I think made it a little bit easier to not know that I wasn't alone, but that, oh, I'm not the only one going through this. Mm -hmm. So I can't, like, I'm trying to think if there is a specific like turning point that I realized like, Oh, like this is what that means. But not really. I think they just always were good about leading me into knowing what was going on. What should I be listening to my body for? I mean, it's definitely weird being, you know, a four-year-old going off to kindergarten and mom coming in halfway through the day to do a blood sugar check. But Hmm. I never really. So your mom built like a little playgroup of dizzy kids for you to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, grew up. Uh, so I don't know if they'll hear the podcast, but shout out to my sugar-free friends. 
<laughs> That's what our parents referred to us as. Sugar-free friends? Yeah. It would have been helpful if you would have just said sugar-free kiddos so I could have named the episode. But all right, we'll keep going. <laughs> so I'm struck by the date of your diagnosis because 89 is still basically like it's near the transfer between like when people were like some people were doing most people were doing regular and MPH and then fast tractor insulins were coming and meter technology was still janky and you know like so you started on management wise in my opinion like an unfavorable footing so how quickly did you get to fast tracting insulin that's probably later in grade school actually so when we left the hospital, I was on regular and lente. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thinking about it, I don't think, I think they gave me like Novolog or Humalog probably, probably like eight or nine years later. Oh, no kidding. So almost, yeah. almost the late nineties, later nineties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now Humalog was definitely available then. Yeah, I could which one came first and with insurances I've flip-flopped on those more times than I can count but I do remember that being a pretty in my mind cool pivoting moment because it definitely opened up to not eating at very scheduled times and very scheduled carb amounts and these through grade school like I think I had the same lunch minus a couple variations <laughs> probably until mm -hmm. the you know late 90s so i can remember that being a really sounds kind of ridiculous but a really exciting changing point wow yeah no i i hear that from people you're in your you know the age isn't important it's people who who went from mph regular ultra lente stuff like that lente and to faster acting so you were eating to a schedule prior to this right yeah, for nine or 10 years. Yep. Till you were like 12 years old. Yeah, probably. Probably about that. Like, yeah, middle school age. Can I ask a question? Of course. The whole thing is me asking a question. So when I say that, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you can ask anything at all. If there is something that I won't answer, I will very nicely tell you that. How about that? That's fine. Oh, that I appreciate. And I expect from everybody, by the way. But here, I'll, I'll give you a little secret. If I say, can I ask you a question? That's me buying myself time while I'm still formulating my question. Oh, perfect. Good to know. Here's another one for you. Episode went up today. There's an ad for it in the beginning for a contour meter, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say that the meter is very accurate. And I wanted to, I was going to say it was super accurate. And when I said the word super, I could not remember the word accurate. So I could have gone back and re-edited it and just said it's super accurate. But instead I went, it's super duper super super duper accurate because <laughs> you got <laughs> i couldn't find accurate in my head <laughs> and then i listened back to it and i was like oh that's silly i'll leave that in but anyway <laughs> the part i was fumfering over is i want to ask if you're a clean eater lean person but then i got concerned that if you weren't it would feel insulting. But I'm trying to get to, did eating to a schedule lead to a lifetime of careful eating? That's my question. Yes and no. So yes, it did 
for all of my life, pretty much through, I'll even say high school. And I was a very athletic kid. I played soccer, basketball, softball. I was constantly in a sport all the time. My parents, God bless them. And then I reached college and played soccer and basketball for my college. Had a wonderful time, but I'll admit, like I did kind of go off the rails a little bit because it had been not ingrained, but a very learned, you know, eating is very important and all the things doctors and parents tell type one kiddos with, you know, you got to be careful and you got to carb count and all the stuff that we know. But I kind of took it as, oh, I'm free now. I don't have to do all of this. <laughs> always taking care of my diabetes. I did always respect that importance, but definitely, definitely took it as a little bit more, yeah, I can eat more fast food. And if everyone else is going out for pizza, cool, I can join them. And I'd say it wasn't say there's probably like a good eight years of doing a lot of that before pulling things back on track going, you know what, I just need to go back to being a little bit more diligent. Yeah. But yeah, I think there was a little bit of a. Well, you know what I, I noticed too, watching my son in college is that when you're playing a sport in college, you can almost eat anything. It feels like because yeah. you're just burning so many calories constantly. So, you know, you can eat a little, uh, I don't know crazy ecology and it and it doesn't hit you the way it does people who are not you know running active you said you played two sports you played a winter sport and a spring sport uh fall and winter yep fall, so i fall. played soccer in the fall and then there was always a little bit of overlap uh leading into the basketball season hmm. it's a lot of running too unless you were the, were you the goalie running. you're not the goalie no i'm not the goalie our goalie was phenomenal but i i played typically left midfielder. So that was a lot of running. Is this a position where you shoot on the goal frequently or no? Yes. Okay. Can I ask a question? I'm being super serious now. Sure. The goal is so big and the ball yes. is so small and a person yep. is so small. How do, how do they miss the open space so frequently? It's a good question. And if I had the answer, I would definitely have been able to score a lot more goals. <laughs> um, but if you're a college level goalie, you are a superhero in in my mind. So our team, so I played for Alverno College, and the goalie we had while I played was an, a ninja. Like she covered so much ground. And if anybody is listening to this. Alberto College did not have a strong soccer program for the first couple of years that I was there. And then we have built up from there. But there was one game. This is not an exaggeration, but the what we were playing on, I think the stats were they had like 80 shots on goal and our goalie let eight in. So just picture this poor college kid diving and jumping like she was exhausted she took a beating that day we played that was you know one of the better teams in our league but soccer goalies are I think one of the most underrated people in sports they to 
that's not an answer to your question, but it that's is just not an answer to my question. It feels like here's what soccer feels like to me. It feels like somebody gave you a tennis ball, stands you 15 feet from a garage door and says, here, hit the garage door and you throw it backwards. That's how it feels to yep. me. <laughs> it's so much space. And anyway, uh, hey, by the way, do you feel prepared to live a life of personal and professional distinction and meaningful engagement with the world? Because that's what Alverno College is known for, it says online. That's <laughs> You know what? It's a it's a great school. I yes, I would I would say that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, then good for them. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> All right. I'll get past that. And I'm not soccer bashing. Listen, I like Ted Lasso like everybody else, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a big space <laughs> it's a big space soccer really yes when you break it down that simply it does seem like it should be a much more high scoring game i want to say i would not be able to do it this is not me going i i'm assuming it's very difficult it's just it doesn't make sense visually while i'm watching it that's all i'm saying no i get that i yeah. can respect that like even with the running around i think to myself there's so much space on the field why don't you run where there nobody is and then put the ball there? <laughs> like, I never understand what's happening. It looks like chaos to me. I recognize that it's not. My brain doesn't make sense of it. That's it not. is a little bit, though. And I'll be honest, that was my team's approach for the longest time. I am not nearly as athletic today as I was back then, but I was fast. I'm not going to run a marathon, but I will get from point A to point B faster than anybody else. So the coach would yell, run for the border, which was code word for launch that ball into an open space and Alex will go get it. And that is all I did. So it is a little bit of organized chaos. You're not wrong in your approach. All right. Thank you. I also don't understand watching golf, but that's for another day. Neither do yes. <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> but while you're in college and running around crazy, you also let go of the building your diabetes building blocks. Is that correct? Like you just sort of, you're not eating on a schedule anymore. That's as specific. You don't have to, which is terrific. But then suddenly does it like, I guess my question is, do you think that hurt you in the long run? Or do you think that it was just a part of growing in the process? I think it was a part of growing. I think every kid at some point diabetes related or not, it is biologically ingrained in us to push back on everything that our parents teach us. It's an important part of growing up. And I think for me, that was my kind of pushing back. That was as maybe silly as it sounds like my rebellion. Sure. Like, Oh, I don't have to listen now. So I think, I think it didn't help me in some cases, but I think all the years before that, I was at least able to kind of get back. Now, I am not saying I eat perfect or regimented no, right now, but I can weigh, like, I don't want to go back to what I did in college. So it's easier to stay on a better track. Yeah. I mean, people rebel. Like, that's, I think, pretty obvious and common. And I mean, I, my go to example is always like when we graduated from high school, all the Catholic schoolgirls we knew either cut their hair if their hair was long or grew their hair if their hair was short. It was, it was yep. just, it was just like, they were like, I'm going to now, I'm going to make a decision is what it felt like to me. Yeah. 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 I gotcha. Okay. All right. So I tell people all the time, I love speaking with people in their late twenties who had diabetes when they were younger, because you get to hear them grow up with it. And, 
and hear the struggles they have as they're breaking free of like their help with their parents. But my first question for you is, first of all, you have t- extra 10 years on this. So I think this is going to be really valuable. But how involved were your parents before you left for college? They were very involved right up until high school. And then it was a little bit more on the peripherals. So by the time I went off to college, it really was completely in my hands. So my mom was primary diabetes caregiver. It was the 80s, 90s. Mom had a little bit more hands-on at home. Dad went to work and, you know, brought home brought home more of the paycheck. So my mom felt more of the the diabetes burden. And then in high school, I took a little bit more of the control. Again, I was out a little bit more doing sports, things like that. It just wasn't as feasible for her to be so hands-on. The the good thing is I went to the high school that she works at. So I would at lunchtime go in and do a blood sugar in her office and things like that. At least made it a little comfortable feeling, but because technology wasn't what it is now, there was no that importance because of course it was always important, but the data wasn't as readily accessible. So I think it made it easier for her and for I to give me a little bit more control. When you left for college, was there a feeling of like, I can call my mom if I need to, or was that not even a concern? Did you, were you worried about leaving for college? I guess is my question. No, I really wasn't. Uh, Part of that was because I went to school close to home over and it was only 15 minutes from my house. So I lived at home uh, freshman and sophomore year. So even if I wasn't constantly checking in, I knew that if I needed anything, she would either be home at night when I got home from classes and practice, or she would be a phone call away. I needed her and leaned on her a lot more when it came to finding a good doctor or how to navigate any of the insurance stuff. So the day-to-day care, I felt pretty confident in, but she was always there to help if I had questions or something really kind of stumped me. Right. Now, now at that time, there's no CGM. So mm-hmm. the, con, the, con, what am I asking? You have a CGM now? Yes. Okay. So do you look back at that time and think, wow, I can't believe how lucky I got? When you describe what you're concerned about leaving for college, your, mm-hmm. your concerns were not the same as what I thought about when Arden left, but I can see Arden's blood sugar in real time. So like, was your, I mean, like, did you and your mom sit around and be like, you know, if you get low, like, was there a lot of worry about lows? I'm sure for her there was. But for you? She did a really good job of not letting me see probably how nervous she, she truly was. I think (laughs) now that I'm a parent, I'm sure she was probably up at night, you know, really concerned and I always share with her what my A1Cs are. I always have. I know she wants to know more, but at the time I didn't see how it would be important for her to know, like, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. because it wasn't really available. So I feel, you know, at that time I probably 
could have, and I'm sure she would have appreciated that, but she was really good at just going, yep, you know, like, go out, do this. I'm here, you know, for anything you might need. But yeah, now being a parent or kind of looking back on it, she probably wanted to know more <laughs> about what my blood sugar was doing. What was what was your focus then? Um, long term, short term for your outcomes and goals? Like, what were you trying to keep? Were you trying to keep your blood sugar anywhere? Or were you just trying not to be dizzy? Like, I'm trying to understand like what the what the goal was. The goal was to stay in range. I think the, what range meant at that point was probably closer to like 90 to 200. I think my range at that point that I was aiming for was definitely broader, but being very in tune yet with my body, I knew that showing up to a game or practice anything under 90 obviously was dangerous and wasn't going to be helpful for me or my team. But anything over 200, I was going to feel like garbage and not be able to perform as well either. So staying in something of a range for me definitely was important. I, Even if I wasn't eating very healthy, I didn't sit in the two 300s and I wasn't okay with that. So I definitely brought myself within range. Now, is it the range that I try to keep myself in now? No, but again, you know, college, you're invincible and <laughs> you, you think you're on top of the world. It's just very interesting to me that if back then you didn't know what was happening in between your finger sticks. So mm -hmm. if, did you find yourself low frequently or no? No, not really. Not, not really too bad. I, if I had to put a reasonable guess on it, I would say I was probably living quite often in like the 150, 160 range based on like what I remember. And I, I mean, that was a long time ago. There's no way I can tell you what my blood was on any no, given no. day, but I think I, I did a pretty good job. It was always important for me to stay somewhat what I would have defined in range at that point. And that's tricky, right? Cause there's still doctors today that say, yeah, anything below 180 is, is good. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but certainly tighter now, but at the time I think I was for what I understood diabetes to be was living in a pretty healthy space. No, that's, I mean, it's all fat. Like I, when Arden left my, my thought is always a low blood sugar that she can't help herself for is my concern. That was, that was my concern when she left. Right. And yep. that's even interesting to say, because I mean, Arden doesn't get low that frequently. So, okay. you know, it's not like she's, low every day or something. And I'm like, oh, it's just going to keep happening. It's just the randomness of it is what concerned me. It ended up being the bigger concern is the quality of the food at the college, which is suspect sure. at best. And absolutely. A lot of carbs, a lot of refined. <laughs> <laughs> processed, fried, refined, carb heavy, like re repetition. Like even that, she's like, I'm so sick of all this it's bad food and I'm sick of it. And I'm like, yeah, I gotcha. Well, yeah, she's gotta be, you guys gotta be getting ready to bring her back home pretty soon. Hey. So yeah. yeah. Um, but so she does quarters though. So she's completing her third quarter or her first year. I know that sounds crazy. You don't have to do the fourth quarter to complete the year, but it's broke. The year is broken up into quarters, but okay. this, this, these last two 
there was no real break in between. So the first time she went away, she was gone for a quarter, and she came home for a while. And then she went back, and that was the beginning of January, and now she's not going to be home until the beginning of June. So she's going to be gone like a solid five months. And okay. uh, and it's the longest she's ever been away from home. Okay. So we're starting to hear from her like, I can't wait for summer. I want to come home, like that kind of stuff, you know, uh, which I completely understand. The, the other day I was, she was FaceTiming. So she was making a, a skirt and I was editing the podcast. So we just, fa- we talked for a while and I said, uh, and I was joking with her. She's like, I got to do this. And then I have to go over to the fashion, you know, building to do this. And I'm like, right. And she's like, it's going to be late tonight. And, and I was like, well, I have to do this and this and this. She goes, yeah, but in our house. <laughs> <laughs> She was, look at this little tiny room I'm sitting in. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I know. She's like, I'm trying to sew sitting on a stool in front of a coffee table. That's, yeah. Yeah, I guess I forgot about exactly how limiting college dorm rooms can be. <laughs> she's like, I'm like in this tiny little space. It was four of us in here. And she's like, and I like these girls. She's like, what if I didn't like them? And I'm like, no, I know. So, uh, but it, it just, my concern I never thought about like the other stuff. Like, like I okay. just think that as the time goes by and the management changes, people's understanding gets deeper. And so their concerns change too. And, and there's mm-hmm. part of me that, that feels like I could see the time when you grew up as just limited information. So you wouldn't know any better, almost just like ignorance that you're just, you know, it's not your fault in any way. But then it's interesting to hear you talk about it because if I knew what I know now, and then you took me back to 1997 and sent, and I had to send Alex off to school, I'd be like, well, she's obviously going to die. <laughs> That's the last time. Sing about Alex, everybody. And, uh, and not the case, obviously. <laughs> no, I get that. I can see where knowing everything we know now and everything we have, if that were to all be taken away, it would, it would be living in the dark ages. I absolutely yeah. respect that. And I mean, I think. But you're okay right now. You don't have any kind of long-term health issues. Nope, I'm doing doing really well. Cool. Uh, Fifteen months ago, gave birth to a very healthy little boy, and everything went very smooth that way. Uh, there was one period of time later in college where my eye doctor wanted to keep an eye on. Uh, a couple blood vessels that she said were looking a little a little more spotty, but since tightening everything up and making a couple other changes, she since everything is not only stopped where it was, but has actually gotten better. That was really the I'll say the closest thing to what I'll say is a, a true complication, mm-hmm. or you know the the ones you hear about. But otherwise, no, I'm I'd consider myself in pretty good health. That's excellent. How many kids do you have? So we've got one daughter who is 20, and she joined our family a little bit later in life. And we've got a 15-month-old son. And then uh, we fostered for a while. So one of our foster daughters we see on the weekend. She's not currently in our home, but we're like a a mentor Mm -hmm. to her. So we see her quite often. Nice. Yeah, so I'm I'm hearing you, uh, you abducted a child. And you yep. made a, and you made a baby. I got you. you. Grab it at the ball. Just come with us, kind of a situation. 
Almost. Yeah. At least you're taking good care. It's funny when you said 20, like you start doing the math and I'm like, Alex didn't say she had a baby in high school. That's not this. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then very easily understand. Well, that's lovely. Um, how, how old were you when you started fostering children? So she, let's see. Okay. My wife and I were actually just kind of having this conversation. So we've started fostering five and a half, six years ago, and then met our daughter five years ago. And then she came to officially like full-time move in with us about three years ago. Oh, that's lovely. So weird. I I might be off on that, but she she's been with us for for quite a few years now. Yeah, that was certainly no 2023 minus 37, but it wasn't terrible. Um, no, so, so she, I'm trying to. Think, <laughs> she was know, about like, 15 when you met her. I lost that whole 2020. Just feels like it's gone. So <laughs> take those with a grain of salt. If she's listening to this and goes, "Geez, mom, I've been here for five years. I'll feel terrible," but it, you know. <laughs> it's fine. It's a lot of pressure to like do dates. All but she was around 15 when you met her. Yes. Okay, yep. that's beautiful. So now I have another question. Yep. How do you decide who carries the baby? Rock, paper, scissors? Please tell me. No, I wish it was rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) Okay, there was other ways. Go ahead. You know, for a lot of families, it probably does come down to it being that simple. My wife has some health stuff that just would have made that process a little bit more tricky, a little bit more medically intensive so having the conversation on who would have the best chance of staying healthier and having a healthy baby it it was me yeah that's what i didn't want to say i'm like how did you end up being the good choice this is what i was wondering i was like <laughs> how they, we'll go with the type one this will be the way to go so um <laughs> this is the winner here <laughs> I bet you that's the first time you ever won a, like a race like that. You were like, woo! <laughs> when diabetes put me at the advantage point, right? Exactly. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, okay, so very cool. So the, the youngest is just 15 months old. Oh, that's really yep. That's a great time. Will you consider trial net? Yes, I, we will definitely be doing that. And that has been a funny process because we've got some friends he's type one he has two kids and he's had the the information he's had the box they call him every six months going hey when are you going to send this in and he's terrified of it he you see he's afraid of what he will or won't find out and I respect that and up until even delivery my wife and I were both like "Eh, if it happens it happens we know what to look for And then our son was about three months old and something came minorly unhinged. And I'm like, we like, how old can he be before we do this? And then it became a, well, geez, now I got to wait till he's two and a half. Like, what are we going to do? But just out of curiosity, I listened to one mom on your podcast who honestly, it's what made sense in my mind. She said, it's not knowing the like when is it going to happen but she was able to use it as a teaching point and help her son understand it before the diagnosis landed and oh. i thought that's a really cool approach yeah good like, idea yeah. you know it that made sense to me and then i saw a conversation on your podcast about you know when were people diagnosed and 
so many of the people said almost exactly three months after COVID. And it was right at the time our little one had COVID. <laughs> so I, I did tell my wife, I'm like, we're going to do a blood sugar check month three or four after. Like, I just need to put my mind at ease. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was perfect. He was 78. Like, there's nothing yeah. could have been better. But I, I mean, we'll definitely do trial net. Okay. Yeah. Hey, so when you were looking for a donor, were you just like, look, just there can't be any autoimmune issues in your family. That's what I would <laughs> I would have been like, I don't care what they look like. I don't care. I don't know how much money they make. Just please not even I don't even want like a sore stomach after a meal. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So we went through a bank in Illinois. And for me, it was very important that we picked features that actually complimented my wife. So it worked out perfectly because he does look like the two of us. So whoever he's with, like people, if people don't know us, they would assume like, Oh, that's mom. Oh, that's very cool. Oh, Alex, I didn't think of that. That's such a wonderful idea. Yeah. 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 Cool. No, excellent. Good. Well, I'm glad that costs money, by the way. It does. We were very fortunate that we did not need to do a lot of the medical components that a lot of that a lot of straight or lesbian families have to go through. We were pretty lucky that we could simply order and you need doctor's approvals and you have to fax in this like ream of paper to the bank that basically says your doctor is giving permission more or less that you're healthy enough to try. Mm-hmm. But we were to attempt at home and things went very I was, well. Alex, I was going to joke about that, but it's a do-it-yourself kit? It can, it can be. Hilarious. Yeah, so. Oh my God, be honest. The funniest thing that's ever happened to you? It was, I mean, yeah, like the... I mean, it's nerve-wracking, I imagine, but it's hilarious too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and my I are very, I don't want to say silly people, but like we're very relaxed <laughs> and... It was just, it, it was a weird kind of like knowing like, what, are, like, what are we like? This is an at home science experiment. Like it's, it was just very bizarre, but very cool. Listen, in the same I, I'm about to go write a movie where this is the main scene. Nobody steal my idea. Okay. Cause that's, that's Y'all heard it. this is yours patent pending. Oh You've my God. That's go. I just, my mind is picturing so many different odd things that just, <laughs> I would have been laughing the whole time if I was one of you. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Oh my God. I got you. I got you in the bicycle <laughs> position. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I got her going. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> funny. funny. Oh uh, my God. Does it, I, I, never mind. My last question is not appropriate. <laughs> but we can talk off air. That's totally fine. <laughs> I just want to know how close to an actual turkey baster does it look like is what I'm asking. It's, it looks more like a, like an at-home chemistry set, as weird as that sounds. So yes, mm-hmm. like everyone says turkey baster, but like think much more like high school chemistry classroom. Okay. <laughs> I, now I'm going to ask a question that I'm serious about. That's going to sound like I'm joking. I'm not being salacious. I really want to. I really want to understand. Good job, Scott. Way to go down this hole. Uh, oh, <laughs> not. I didn't mean that. Stop. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. That's. Not I knew. That. Unintended there. I got it. it wasn't even intended. I was going to say path, and then I was going to say rabbit hole, and then I just said the worst thing I could have said. Is it best? Is the all right? That's my question. Is it best 
to be aroused while you're doing it? Like, are, is there like physiological function around that? Or is it just as easy as like, put it in and we're done? We have, so we did a little bit of homework. Like it's not super, it's not difficult to find information online, but it's also, you got to weed through just like anything, like what's reputable and what's not. So they did say that there was higher likelihood if, if that, you know, if you, if you were warm things up a little bit, got things going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. That made sense to me, but I wasn't sure. And then there was probably a very polite adult way I could have asked that question, but I actually scaled it down pretty far from the juvenile thought I had. So I think I did pretty well. Nope. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. And, and so, because not, not for nothing too, but if you're, if you're paying by the delivery, you want to get it in, get it going the right way as quickly as possible too. Pretty much. I mean, it wasn't, I, I have friends who LGBT and straight who have spent lots of money on attempts to get pregnant. Yeah. And I mean, it can add up very quickly. I will say our first attempt or I, getting pregnant was not our first attempt. So there was some money spent, but you know, just yeah. like heterosexual people have to try, you know, multiple times sometimes too. It, you know, it, it takes when it takes. Yeah. No. So do you, if you, okay. So if you try once and it doesn't work, do you go back to the bank and say, Hey, we want more from the same guy. You can. Yep. So you, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it doesn't, I guess sound ridiculous, but like, yeah, you kind of fill out an order form and, uh, either call or email or fax. Like they've got different ways you can kind of do things. Uh, you can have it shipped. So there's like a window of like a travel range that they'll deliver. Yeah. Um, Think about that you, the next time you want to be mean to your UPS guy. Just right. Cut, <laughs> cut him or him or her a break. You know what I mean? They're lugging yep. sperm around with them. <laughs> yep. If the package car driver, they're now thinking, geez, how much have I delivered? <laughs> Guy was there every day for a week. <laughs> oh my God. Every time something comes to my house, I say to the guy, I'm going to go back inside and say to my wife that you come here. You said you come here a lot. And, and he goes, I don't feel that way. And I go, I'm still going to use you as an excuse. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, the guy said... He is the house he comes to the most. He's it's upsetting to him. He really wants a break. I'm just trying to get her not to buy things online, but um, it's not working yet. Okay, so you so you do that um, now, and it is in the back. I mean, there's no way around it, right? It's in the back of your head. You were diagnosed at three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the baby comes, and you're like, by the way, you didn't change. Call the baby Scott. No. No. no it's fine. And um, do you like? Do you listen to this podcast? I do. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that's nice. How did you find it? I think it was in something that like highlighted the top podcasts in different genres. And it was either diabetes specific or like healthcare something. But I'm like, huh, like that's really cool. I'm driving, you know, more for work and then dropping our son off at daycare. So I started listening and I've really enjoyed it. So I am happy to be able to be talking with you for, for a change. I'm glad that's excellent. Your note says that you want to talk about advocating for yourself and mm-hmm. I have not let you get to that yet. So no, that's okay. We'll- I, what I love about the podcast is you, 
you ask questions and we just go from there. So even if we would never have touched on that, it, you know, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. We've learned a lot already today. Like, I mean, we've learned from a person who was diagnosed very young and in a different management time, heard about going mm-hmm. to college. I mean, you've heard about like at-home insemination, which, my goodness, I was going to joke about that, but I did not realize it was an actual real thing, so I learned something there. And, yep. um, yeah, and I just have a, yeah. Did you wear rubber gloves? I'm just kidding. Did you? Oh, wait, did you? No, no, okay. we did. I was <laughs> think about it, I'm like the thought that came in my head is why would we wear rubber gloves but yeah I get like that would be a question but we did not know so Alex I, here, here's the end of the insemination questions for me and then I move forward are you or your uh wife gold star we are not okay that's why you're not scared I see okay I got it all now I figured the whole thing out that's fine <laughs> how many people right now are like I don't know what that means probably a lot yeah not me <laughs> I know a lot of useless stuff. Nope. <laughs> do I, you know do, do, do I tell them? Asking that question. You know what? I'm going to let people wonder, either wonder or check it out primarily because like, if someone in my family listens to this, I don't want them being like asking like, so who was it? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So you're, 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 oh, so it happened, but it's not like a, it's not it's not like you were with guys for a long time. It's just a thing that happened at one time. Yeah. Well, that's that's actually a very good way of summing that up. Okay. Can I ask another question? Sure. Were you testing it? Uh, like were you like, let me just make sure and then it started happening and you went, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure." <laughs> or <laughs> That's enough. We can you can go home no, now. <laughs> no, it was not taking away from the experience. It wasn't a casual like encounter or anything like that. It was more or less closing a chapter for me and this guy. So it wasn't like, you know, I mean, like people totally fine. If like people are out there, you know, having kind of meaningless relationships for me, it wasn't that it was definitely like a closure piece that me and a former boyfriend needed to kind of put in place. So, so prior to the boyfriend, did you mm-hmm. think you might be gay or you never had the thought? No, I definitely at that point, it was very much uh, like a two year ish kind of window of questioning. And we weren't together that whole time. Like, I don't want, I, gotcha. I don't want people out there going, geez, this poor guy. <laughs> oh, my, but, oh my gosh. Alex, did you help him out otherwise? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, no. I, last like he's happily married. I think he's got a kid or two. No, I'm sure out. he's thrilled to be away from you. That, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, we can talk more about that off air. People aren't going to about you know that conversation. But yeah, no, neither one of us are gold stars. Okay, which I'm sure. Well, now they've now. got it figured out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's so. Oh, that's interesting. I do have more questions. Like, did you like? Did you just like? Oh, he put in so much time. Were you trying to give him like a favor at the end or were you really like, I'm just dying to know if you were like, let me find out. I'll do this and see if I'm really, it's not for me. You know, I, I'm trying to like, I like that you don't remember back there. Like, well, and that's, yeah. I mean, like that was a long, long time. time ago. Yeah. I, I, it was, it was a meaningful experience. And also I think I had like known more than not that I was a lesbian. So mm-hmm. I think it was just more, I don't want to say like, yeah, like confirmation, but kind of, 
maybe kind of a little bit. I'm not exactly sure. Alex, I know. I know how I handle this. If there are any guys out there listening who are gay, but tried a lady to make sure it was real, please get a <laughs> hold of me because you'll be way more fun to talk about this with than Alex. Yep. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Okay. Hopefully I'll get a nice note from someone. <laughs> You're being like a, an adult about this. I don't need that, Alex. I need, I need ridiculous. <laughs> Hey, we can, you know what, even better yet, next time you're visiting your brother, let's go out for Mexican, I'll pick you up from the airport, we can talk about anything you no, want No, no, my brother's about. being punished for moving to Wisconsin, I don't see him, that's all. <laughs> he he should have moved somewhere that's warm fair. if he wanted to see me, do you understand? Fair enough. For all of you, telling us about the lakes, it's not enough. I've seen the ocean, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know that's Although fair. I've heard the, I heard the fair. lakes. People tell me the lakes are lovely and that I really should see them. And I'm certain I'll visit my brother. Uh, now that my mom's out there, I'll go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so your mom's out with uh, with your she brother now. She made the now? move uh, after her her cancer ordeal. That she, so my mom was oddly getting ready to move to Wisconsin, and uh, because my brother moved when he was young for college and then ended up staying. And my mom's like, you know, I think I want to spend the last bit of my life with Brian. And I was like, yeah, that sounds, I mean, definitely let him have you when it's really hard. That's the best time for us to say goodbye. But, but no, it's sad she moved, but she's having a different experience with him and his family, which is all lovely. Um, but I mean, I, I can get away with telling my brother to come back here or let's meet somewhere for a vacation, but I don't think I can get away with asking my 80 year old mom to do that. So I guess I am going to end up, he tricked me into going to Wisconsin, I guess. Um, he got you. Honestly, I was supposed to speak in Wisconsin right as COVID was happening. And okay. it got sh- obviously shut down pretty quickly. But yeah, I missed uh, I missed seeing Wisconsin by like two weeks because of COVID. Yeah, okay. Or I would have been there. Anyway, um, what have we not gone over yet? Oh, the advocating piece. Like, where have you found yourself having to do that? Whether you are the type one or a mom or dad or caregiver, I think it's just so important to be able to stand up for yourself in in anything. I mean, diabetes, yes, of course, because it could have very serious side effects or, you know, I mean, going low or staying too high. You know, we all know that there's so many dangers in that. And I think... Once you're out of the terror of like that new diagnosis and you kind of get a rhythm and you're like, okay, this isn't always going to be scary. I think it's very easy to then discount like how important it still is. So, I mean, I went through college and high school without any sort of um, like 504 plans weren't really a thing. I went to a private school. I was very lucky that my teachers were just accommodating, but through college, like no one in like any student housing or anything like that knew really that I was diabetic. And I know that you can now go and let people know like what accommodations you need. And I think just because I didn't utilize that doesn't mean it wasn't important. I think you need to advocate for what you need. And I think it will lead to so many more in our community having better mental health and better just conversations about it as a whole. I think a lot of us, you know, hide it without even meaning to. And I don't think it has to be I that way. Either. 
And I actually, you said something a second ago that I'll push back on, but in a, in a way that you'll understand in a second, you said like, you know, how mm -hmm. dangerous or concerning lows are like, and everybody knows that, but I just got back from an, uh, a speaking engagement in person where I was fairly stunned by the amount of people who did not understand the implications of low blood sugar. People who either had type one or were the uh, spouses of a type one, they just didn't know. And it was really something. Okay. Um, I was stunned, obviously. And then in the middle of a talk that I was giving about something else, I took five minutes to educate everybody on that. Uh, so I was like, not the favorite person for five minutes. You know, I'm like, like, no, I'm like, blood sugars go down. They get too low. Uh -huh. You have a seizure. If they continue to go low, then there's not enough sugar in your blood and your brain shuts off and then you're gone. And then somebody said, but then you drink a juice. And I went, nope. Nope, no, you're just gone. And uh, I, a lot of like shocked looks in the room. But I just, I I saw it happening and I thought, well, someone's going to have to tell them. I didn't relish it being me, but I just thought it's, I mean, we're all here. Like, let's do it now. You know, I yeah. talked to everybody through it. I told them like, look, it's not like it's obviously definitely going to happen or anything like that, but it's a possibility and I just think you should know about it. So then that moved the conversation to glucagon. I was stunned by the amount of people who don't have glucagon. If they have it, they don't carry it with them. Um, you know, I don't know. It just threw me off. So. No, yeah. And I, I appreciate yeah. that pushback because yeah, I guess I take it for granted that that is something that I know, but to that point, there are probably lots of people who don't understand how it works. Even. Yeah. living with it, which is, is scary mm -hmm. to think and about. And then you find somebody who does know about it, and they're like, yeah, I've never used it. So then it's that, like, well, then people are like, oh, well, then what do I need it for? Like, you need it for, it's like wearing mm -hmm. a seatbelt, honestly. it's You don't wear a seatbelt for all the times you don't crash your car. <laughs> that's not how that's not how really? that works. And uh, I don't know. I think I got through to them. And uh, the people that ran the event were very kind afterwards, because a couple of people complained. You know, like he's in there talking about okay. dying. And I'm like, well, first of all, I wasn't talking about that. This came up and I, you know, I told you the, the reality of it. Uh, but the people that run the uh, the event were like, no, like, we appreciate that you did that. And that must have been difficult. And thank you. And I was like, oh, cool. Level headed people. Excellent. Um, so that was pretty cool. Did you like being pregnant? The experience of it? I did. I, re I really enjoyed it. I know not everybody has that experience and I respect that, but I, I really enjoyed it. That doesn't mean it was smooth sailing the entire time, but I, we are not having more children, but I would, I would be open to caring no, again. Cool. No, I mean, I just talked to you a minute ago and there's just a picture of you pregnant with a look on your face that made me think, man, she loved that. Like it, it wasn't <laughs> the, the one or like I, I guess there's lake, quite actually. a few. Yeah, so with the totem pole. Yeah, she looks like you're about halfway through being pregnant right about there. Yeah. Yep. So that would have been October and our son was born end of mm -hmm. January. So that's actually at the diabetes camp that I oh, volunteer wow. at. Tell me about that. It's a really great experience. I know camp is not for everybody, so I'm not saying everybody should go. And if it's something your kid would benefit from it's how i describe it to non-diabetic people is it is the coolest heartbreaking experience that i do every year like it's so cool because there are 
up to 150 kids for one week who are all going through the same thing. They all understand what it means. They're not having to re-explain what their low blood sugar means. Like it's just, they get to be a kid and the diabetes gets to go in the background, but it's heartbreaking because inevitably about halfway through the week, I look around and I go, Jesus, there's 130 kids here and they're all diabetic. Like that, that breaks my heart. So it's a really cool experience. Uh, Wisconsin lions camp is who hosts it in Wisconsin. They have a beautiful campground. They have amazing staff. It's a really great week for the kids and they some of them come the first time never seeing another type one kid and they leave with like a core group of like uh, best friends and i i can't say enough good things about it it's cool. so three cool. great things just happened one you said wisconsin very wisconsin-y which i enjoyed you were like you're like wisconsin <laughs> that was fantastic and then um the thing about the way you said you know they don't have to explain things to other to people right because everybody already knows mm-hmm. I thought a little more about that as you were talking, and that's a lot about language. Like, you don't show up at an, at, a, at a, a gathering and have to explain to people that you're breathing. You know what I mean? And it's and right. or or to look at them and think, oh, I'm breathing and they're breathing, but I'm doing it differently, and they don't understand that. Like, not that all just that all fades away right there. Yeah, that yep. must be the best part of it. And the the other thing that you talked about about the, kind of the heartbreaking nature of it is. Um, actually Arden is done at her children's hospital now because she is an adult and they told her to get out, but they actually said, you need to find a, an adult endo. They didn't say get out, but it's what they meant. This, yeah. Exactly. So we, we go to a, had gone to a satellite office for a really major children's hospital. And I hate having to go to the appointments at the children's hospital because you just walk mm-hmm. in and so many different disease states, so many little kids, so many tired parents, mm-hmm. like like smiling when their kids are looking at them. And when the kids aren't looking, they just look like they're going to run their head through a wall, like that kind of thing. And um, mm-hmm. I find it difficult to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's I get like that. one of the somehow amazing institutions that are helping so many people. And I find it to be like. It's like the saddest place on earth. I just can't, I, I have trouble being there. So um, the satellite offices, for me, it's just way better. Uh, anyway, uh, well, that's very nice. How long have you been uh, donating your time to the camp? I have been volunteering with them this 10 or 11 oh, years that's now. Wonderful. That's really nice. Okay. I, I love how, too, you're just at the right age where you apologize to everybody before you say anything. I enjoyed, but you, you didn't say I enjoyed being pregnant. You said, I know some people don't like it, but I enjoyed it. And you're like, I know some people don't want to go to camp, but I, I you don't have to do that here, Alex. It's okay. Just say what you think. I like appreciate no that. Problem. Yep. <laughs> we're not going to, we're not, we're not worried. There's no woke mob coming for you, Alex. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? And it takes so much to offend me or push me a little too far. So even if they did come, that fine. I mean, <laughs> I, I figured you could. I tried in the middle and you were fine. So <laughs> <laughs> there's just this whole moment. My brain's like, we have to understand better how they made the baby. I don't know. I mean, it just has to be. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> what else have we not talked about? I'm sorry. You got me. Uh. I'm de- I'm too delighted by you. I I've lost my uh my professional edge. Do I have a professional edge? You know, 
You do. And I think you're, you're maintaining it pretty well. I think uh, the two of us just seem to. <laughs> yeah. We're having a good time. And we're having a good yeah. conversation. I mean, yeah, I've, you know, lived my entire life with diabetes. So I'm sure if you ask enough questions, you'll hit on different things if you wanted to. <laughs> okay. Well, I do want to know then what the difference is between modern management and what you were accustomed to until you were 12. Like in a rear view mirror kind of description of diabetes, where it's common, why it's important. I hate to think that people are being diagnosed at the intense numbers that we're seeing. And I think if you are going to be diagnosed now is the better time than any. And I know that's weird to say, because I'm sure in five years we'll have even more insanely advanced technology. But I really enjoy that I was able to grow up and kind of go through life with the management I had given there were some hurdles of course but I think because it also allows me to not hyper fixate on my CGM so in 30 years I've been with Medtronic Tandem I'm currently on the Omnipod 5 with with Dexcom and I really love it and my first closed loop experience was with Medtronic system. And I'll be honest, I went into it thinking I'm going to hate it. Like I have gotten it, my thoughts where I've gotten it this far. Why do I need the machine to do it for me? And I let go of that control really quickly, a lot faster than I anticipated, which I thought was really cool. And if my system were to fail at some point, I have the skills where I'd be able to move on and, you know, fix it until they got replaced. So if I needed a new controller or a Dexcom went haywire, I'd be able to make it a day or two with very little struggle. I mean, like I'd probably grumble about it. Like, Oh, I got to do shots, but I'd be able to do it and it would be okay. Um, So I think for me that, that really worked out, but I think it's, amazing you know what we have i think it's incredibly helpful i say that i'd be able to put things away but if my son were to be diagnosed tomorrow i would be calling everybody to get him on a dexcom as fast as i possibly can so i love and respect everything that is out there and (laughs) i enjoy knowing that i've got a lot of skills in my pocket that i think some kids don't Uh, we did an activity at camp a couple of years ago with the cabin I was working with and said, okay, your pumps don't work right now. You guys have to do the math to figure out your carb counts and insulin for, for the dinner. And I was a little scared. Everyone was like deer in headlights. They looked at us like, well, no, our pump does that. And we're like, we know, but like if your pump failed right now, and they're like, but our pump does that. <laughs> That's and not going to happen, lady. Plus the UPS guy, I don't know if you heard, he brings everything. So it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's basically, so we like walked them through like how to, you know, figure it out. And then obviously we let them use their pump to see, you know, how close and to actually give the bolus. But I, I did leave that conversation going, you know what? We, I think we have to do a little bit better about at least letting them know how the pump is getting to these results. But they were... Like they were 13 and 14 year old girls and most of them didn't know what their you know, insulin diagnosed. sensitivity was or what, how it translated to decisions or anything yep. like that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, and that's okay. You know, if you don't need the information, you don't need it. Like there's no point in having it necessarily for like a what if. And I, you know, I would assume mom or dad has that information, but we just thought it would be kind of a, like a, a fun quote unquote activity, you know, for one meal. And oh, the pushback we got was, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Get away. Leave me alone. Well, I, when we make adjustments to Arden's settings, which we haven't in a while, things have been going very smoothly. So I probably should have said that. I'm not, I'm not superstitious at all. And I still was like, Oh God, don't, I shouldn't have said that out loud. But like, that's why I'll text her and I'll be like, Hey, you know, we're going to make some changes in your pump. Like just FaceTime me for a second. And like now, by the way, with screen sharing on FaceTime, even like, you know, she's making changes to like her loop algorithm. It's all like right there. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to make your insulin sensitivity 43. Um, And I know, you know, and I just say the same stuff over and over again. I'm like, I know that we're going from 44 to 43, but just remember that's making it stronger, not weaker. You know, let's make your basal this at night because we're seeing this happen. I just figure if I keep saying the why I'm doing it as I'm doing it, like she'll have no choice but to understand it. You know, like I'll kind of like, trick i mean not for nothing i'm basically tricking her to take care of herself like sort of like the way i'm tricking all of you into doing it by like having conversations and bringing stuff up here and there and letting it drop in and fade away and bring it back and i think it's working but i am now fascinated if i said to her like do a meal but you know what she swags so boy that's not a word i ever use do people know swag she guesses her carbs so well i bet you she could do it but but if she had to know the math of it for a correction, I think she'd come up with the answer, but I don't think she'd know why she was at the answer mathematically. Does that make that's sense? Fair. No, that's yeah. fair. And I feel like, I mean, she's had it 16 years yeah, now. She's, all, she's almost close. 17 years uh, in a couple, a couple more months. Okay. I feel like some of it does become just so second nature. I mean, how can it not after day to day and like so many times throughout the day i think that was yeah so i can i can get where if she's not doing the math she could at least come close probably within a half a unit mm-hmm. i think that makes sense yeah. to me let me ask you this mm-hmm. i now appear to know what you do for a living are you willing to talk about it absolutely i'm surprised it took this long when i was a kid and we were young and we were graduating from high school and people were getting ready to go to college and going to work and stuff. My buddy's like, I'm going to become a funeral director. And and I'm like, okay. yeah. And he goes, yeah, man, for sure. And I was like, why? And he goes, I'll have a job right till the end. And I'm like, what? He goes, people aren't <laughs> going to stop dying. I'll always have money. It's like, well, okay. Rock solid thought. And so, <laughs> but here, I'm going to tell you his best story. And then I want to hear, and then I want to okay. hear your best story. He was once preparing a body and he found things stuffed in the person's throat and they came to, he saw, he solved a murder. Oh my gosh. So while he was preparing the body, he saw something way down in the throat and he got it out. And then what ended up happening was a young, this is such a crazy story, but a young neighbor of an older person murdered this older person by like shoving a rag down their throat and something else. And it was so gone from sight that they just assumed the person just died. Wow. Yeah. My friend solved a murder. 
that's good for him. That is Isn't that cool. Fantastic. Child. Have you ever solved a murder, Alex? That's what I'm asking. I not. No, I have not solved a murder. I feel like I need to step up uh <laughs> my game. Did you just think, oh my gosh, I've never looked down everybody's throat? I wonder how many murdered people I didn't find. <laughs> no, you know, I mean well, okay, so I don't work in the prep room as often mm-hmm. anymore. If anyone in our prep room is listening to this, they'll be like, you never work in the prep room. It's been a long time. So I'm not the the one who typically gets people ready for their services. I used to, and I did really enjoy that part of, of the profession. But no, now I'm going to ask our team, like, hey, why aren't we solving any murders here, guys? Yeah. Why is nobody trying hard enough? Um, so, Are you doing your job? So what's it like being around deceased bodies? Well, I don't even know. I'm using the phrasing wrong, probably, right? I was going to say dead bodies, and that seemed harsh. Then deceased bodies seems, I mean, just the deceased, right? What should I say, first of all? Yeah. No, you're, you're good. I would say deceased is okay. probably the the softest way of saying because, that because but, i've watched my friend who he lives in the funeral home above the funeral home which is not uncommon by the way okay. if you've seen six feet under on hbo i lived above the the home i work at uh, this there's a beautiful apartment in the space above our funeral home that's reserved for the apprentices typically so when i was an apprentice and early director i i lived up above there it it's got its pros and cons <laughs> well, are the cons that there are six bodies in the basement at all times or what what's the cons ultimately that even if it's not your weekend on call if there's a funeral like you're expected to you know get the flower door open and kind of if something happens you're the one that kind of has to tend to it which fortunately things don't typically happen but you'll get you know a call on the weekend to go hey i've got a family dropping off clothes can you make sure the door's open you know tomorrow at noon it's like, sure, didn't have plans or anything, but yeah, I can make that I'll happen. Here. So it, what, <laughs> what's always stunned me about his life is that, you know, he moved in there. He's had three children. He raised his children in that house. They're so comfortable with death. Like it just, and not in a morbid or creepy way. It's just a, it's just such a, I, I've always thought of it as a good thing. Like they're just like mm-hmm. you know, to see little children playing hide and seek around caskets, or like you know, or when you have a, an event with a bunch of people to get together and it's his turn to host, and you're having dinner in the same room where there are services because that's where the space and the tables are and stuff like that. Like it's a really different experience, but it becomes very normal very quickly. It does, and I think so. One of the the foster kiddo who we still see on on weekends. They, <laughs> when they were living with us, they're probably like nine or 10 at the time. And because they were able, you know, at an age to understand kind of what I do, not maybe the specifics, but they've at least heard of funeral directors before. And there was one day I came home from work and they asked, so who died today? And <laughs> it was meant in a very, like, I'm trying to connect with you and ask about your day, but we're like, okay, that's, let's not ask that. Like, let's not that's not the question <laughs> that we're going to go with, but it, I am a firm believer that you shouldn't shield children away from death, that at an age appropriate level, there needs to be a conversation. And if there's not, that's how you end up with 30 year olds who won't go to a funeral. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that's really hard for a lot of people because you, you know, you want to protect your kids. And I understand that, but shielding them from everything doesn't exactly prepare them, you know, for later on. What is your weirdest story? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know that it would be many people weirdest, but it was day one on the job. So it really sticks in my head. Uh, We had a family whose loved one passed away. He was probably in his late thirties and they donated his, his organs, his tissues. And what that means sometimes is that they will take your arm and leg bones as well. So I had to watch, or I had an opportunity to watch how they dress this guy who is really nothing more than his trunk and appendages, but those were replaced now with PVC pipes to hold shape. And I remember thinking, what the heck did I get myself into? And I think I'm going to do this for a really long time. (laughs) So it was weird enough that it definitely will always stick with me as like first day on the job. This is what we're leading with, but not enough that it scared me off. Here's the thing that has so far in my life of all the things that my friend has shared with me. Mm -hmm. The thing that's like weirded me out the most is that, um, for women of a certain breast size, he stitches the he stitches the breast together so they stand up in the coffin. Yep. Yeah. You that. Yeah. That's like a trick of the trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's that one threw me tra- just so I just so you know I was like oh okay and it just yep. I don't I, I, can I ask a question why do you have to embalm a body to cremate it? You don't. You don't have to. Okay. Nope. You don't. So at least in the state of Wisconsin, if the only reason you would have to be embalmed is if you were having an open casket service more than 24 hours after a person passed away or if they were being sent out of state. So in order now, minus any religious reasoning. So if someone passes away in Wisconsin and is going back home for a funeral, we would have to embalm here before getting them on the plane. It cost the UPS a body across the country. Ooh, right now, you're looking at about twenty five hundred. Oh, mom, you're getting buried in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, right now, I mean, and that also depends. So, I mean, we have milk. So, I work in South Milwaukee, and. South Milwaukee has a pretty strong affiliation with like lacrosse. A lot of people from the lacrosse area moved to the South side of Milwaukee for a lot of factory jobs. So we oftentimes are going anywhere, you know, from lacrosse to the cities and we'll weigh out the cost difference. Like if it's going to be cheaper to drive like to lacrosse or Minnesota we'll just make the trip. So sometimes driving is easier. I think we've driven to Indiana. Um, Yeah. Like for your mom's example, I don't know that it's going to be more cost effective to drive her back East, but yeah, it all, and I mean, it depends on gas prices and airline flights and stuff like that. I just want to be cremated. I have to be honest. 
I that's fair. Yeah. Um, you know what just happened that was very funny is that apparently Lacrosse is a town in Minnesota. But when you started saying it, you said a lot of people from Lacrosse like moved here, and I'm like, wait, people who play Lacrosse showed up in South Wisconsin. Like, Sorry. No, no. And I'm Sorry. like, that, that doesn't make sense. So then I kept, then I started thinking, is she mispronouncing the? I think there's Lacoste in France. Like, is maybe she's mispronouncing that? And then eventually, I'm like, oh, there's just another town called Lacrosse somewhere. Yep, Cross, Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, okay. My brain just kept stepping through the conversation, trying to find out what you were talking about, and I was all over the place. At one point, I thought, isn't there a clothing manufacturer with a name like that? Like, maybe people who work there move there for the job. <laughs> no, I wasn't very clear. Yeah, Lacrosse no, no, is along the Mississippi on the Wisconsin side, but well, now yeah, you're no, freak- I, wait, now you're really freaking me out. The Mississippi rivers in Wisconsin. It, yeah, it starts up, uh, goes right along Wisconsin, Minnesota, and then all the way down. Holy hell. We're learning stuff today. Okay. Yep. Ser- yeah. By the way, I'm at a point now. I don't even know what this is about. There's no way this, they, I can't name this episode, anything. It's ridiculous. We're all over That's the fine. place. I love it though. Yeah. We'll come up with something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I should say, I do love the funeral directing. I am very happy to still be a licensed director. I'm I'm actually in the process of going back to school, um, but I don't think I will ever not be somehow involved with funeral service. I'm going to ask you a weird question that I think relates to something diabetes. We'll see if it does for you. I always... <laughs> okay. okay, so I'm going to... I don't know what the position is to, to talk about it, but like, so I make this podcast to help people, right? But it's a business too, and it makes money and it makes money through advertising. So there are times when you're in meetings talking about advertising and it feels wrong to be talking about it because it's people's health, right? And so yep. I have, I'm always very conflicted. Anytime I sit in a meeting and they're talking about like, penetration for the podcast listen through rates like how far are they listening through do they share it what states are you like strongest in? like when there's questions like that i just i'm like in my mind's going i just want to help people this is how i pay for it it's okay i make my living this way it's all right like but it always feels wrong you're oddly in a sales position as a funeral director and i'm wondering how you like how do you deal in that moment it is really tricky and one at some point someone in my life made a very simple but poignant statement of you can't spend other people's money so the good thing is we are not like a commission based like funeral home so whether you buy the cheapest or most expensive stuff, it does not matter to me. Even if it was commission, it would not matter to me. Mm-hmm. Whatever works for your loved one is what I'm going to do for you. My job is to make, I don't want to say you happy because you're never going to be happy with a funeral per se, but kind of like you guys hopefully know what I mean. Yeah, no, I but, I understand. I just, it's, you're in a unique position to know how I feel. So I yep. was wondering about that. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely weird. and money definitely needs to be discussed but yeah like it's it's very strange i can't say enough about rearranging like you know if if you're in a position to do so that makes it a lot easier for your family and for the funeral home mm-hmm. like you get to say what you want you get to pick your stuff out and then it does make that money conversation 
a lot easier. Okay. Have you ever seen an argument between like children? Like one of them wants to bury mom with something expensive and the other one's like, don't put that in there. And then they. Every family's got a dynamic and that's fine. I mean, my family has their own dynamic too, but. Oh yeah. Like we've had people walk out of arrangements. We've had like, you can, it's always sad when someone's passing is viewed by a family member as a paycheck and it, it, you can see for those people, even when they're trying to not make it seem like that, you can tell, Oh, you're, you're not choosing to do what your parents wanted because you're hoping for a bigger payout. Like that, that, sucks like that's hard you know one of the things that i've learned in the last couple of years that threw me off which seems similar is that when my mom uh after my mom's surgery she had to go to a like a facility where she could rehab but also they could help take care of her right and Mm -hmm. this place was also like it's a home where people end up sometimes living for the rest of their lives the stories from the staff that people come in big smiles they drop off their parents and mm-hmm. I'll see you tomorrow, mom, blah, blah, blah. And then they never come back. And not just, yep. never, not, I'm not saying they don't visit. They ghost the place. They, they don't pay the bill. They literally just abandon their parents there. That's a frequent occurrence. That is terrible. Yeah. That is, that is horrendous. I, I just, I didn't know what to think of that. And, and my buddy helped me find a place for my mom, my buddy who's a funeral director, because mm-hmm. he said, listen, you can tell a lot about these places, about how the areas of the building that the public can't see are kept. And uh-huh. he's like, I come in the back. I come in downstairs. This place is very clean. The people are respectful behind the scenes. This is a place I think. That's how we ended up picking where my mom went. Absolutely. I have people periodically ask me uh, questions um, about, you know, mom's going on hospice. You know, is there somewhere you would recommend. And I usually let them know where I would not recommend. Um, but you know, I have to, you know, you got to be careful because mm. people, yeah, you know, you got to be careful on how you make recommendations, but I, yeah, people, and I tell people ask away, I will let you know if I would not trust my family member somewhere. Mm. No, no. It's interesting to get like a backroom view of it. And from a funeral mm-hmm. director is where I got it from, which is yeah. both sad and, obvious i think at the same time yeah that's fair (laughs) yeah yeah. okay all right alex you're terrific i am i'm in the position where i feel like we could do this forever which eventually it'll get too long not for me by the way i could easily listen to a three-hour podcast but not everybody is me so i stop them i hear right yeah yeah, yeah. some people like there's no short ones or they've been getting long lately like oh okay you don't listen in one setting i mean you can hit pause break it up a little (laughs) That's all. I listened to something this morning and I paused it to do this. There you, we go. You can pause. Just make sure you come back and get through the ads because if you don't get through the ads and my listen through rate goes to hell and then it's hard to, you know, anybody support the podcast. Uh, I don't mind if you fall asleep listening to it as long as the player keeps running. <laughs> and those of you, while I'm making my pitches, Alex, those of you who um, listen and a spouse listens and you listen on the same device, you're killing me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, my God, download it on another app for the other. It's two people. I deserve two downloads. I am. My goodness. Alex, nobody understands my problems. (laughs) 
What do you think people will remember about this episode when I when I blurted out that I'm not bringing my mom home because it costs twenty five hundred dollars to move her body? <laughs> I feel we've got a lot of different points in this uh, in this conversation. <laughs> We went, from, we went from like we went from we went from a lesbian couple artificially inseminating themselves at home in a DIY situation to how you bury people and and stitch their breasts together so they look nice and, I, and you told about the pipes and the in the oh my god this is all over There's the place a lot of points people could be like well this lady's not for me and, that, and that's okay <laughs> oh no I think you were terrific yeah you know this was wonderful I had a great time are you kidding. Stop it. I'm the arbiter of what's okay, by the way. I get to decide. <laughs> you don't like it, don't listen. Although, please keep listening. I really, Again, never mind. Anything I forgot to ask you? Anything you want to say? I don't think so. I think we we did a good job. I think if anyone is able to take anything out of our wonderful conversation, I hope if there's newly diagnosed families listening, I hope they feel a little bit better knowing your, your kiddo is going to be okay. Like a hundred percent. And, and by the way, foster a child, thing. like you're fostering children. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not that kind. I know I'm not. <laughs> I, I want to think I am, but I don't know. I don't think I, and I'm adopted. How bizarre is that? <laughs> it's a strange thing. Could I do it? It didn't. I don't know. It never came up in my life. That's not the point. The point is, is that it seems, it seems like such a kindness to me. Like, I almost feel like I don't know that I'm that kind. It, and because it's, it's a all, lot, it's a lot of it, giving, a, right? I mean, because of the trauma that is involved in fostering and adopting world, uh, it actually led my wife to the career that she's on. And she helps keep families together, ultimately, is what she does. She helps families who who need help in navigating their kids' behavior. She, she does some really cool things. Uh, a lot of people say they couldn't do what I do as a funeral director. There's no way that I could do what she does. So you're right. I mean, fostering is a, is a wild and intense thing to do. I would so, imagine. Yeah, people, I mean, the first... The first time my kid was like really annoying, I was like, "Oh, well, I now I know why they the like, they make you love them so much." Like, so because I <laughs> I want them to leave, you, you know, it's very upsetting. <laughs> and and if it's don't not, love your kid, you don't always necessarily like them. Yeah, well, no, I actually like my son. I'm just saying the first time he did something where I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like, you realize, like, well, it doesn't matter. Like. Uh, he can't go anywhere. Like he's like, you know what I mean? Like we're gonna figure this all out. But when it's somebody else's child i'm wondering if you're like well this didn't work out you can go now uh but but a a lovely answer nonetheless by the way i can tell what a good time i'm having with you because the funny part of my brain is still working because you're saying something very serious and you're like that's what what led my wife to the the job she's in and my brain thought human trafficking And I was like, no, I mean, that would have people would have been like, all right, we're done here. Oh, that's funny. That's that's funny. Uh, Anyway, thank you. I don't know. Like, again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm letting you hear about 40% of my thoughts. The rest of them would really throw you (laughs) off. Uh, Nevertheless, um, thank you so much for doing this. Can you hold on one second for me? Absolutely. Thanks.
Hey, I really want to thank Alex for coming on the show and sharing her fantastic story and having such a good time with me. And I just want to remind you about all of the great content that lives inside of the Juice Box podcast. Go find it. Look on the private Facebook group. Check out juiceboxpodcast.com. Go up to the menu at the top. There is so much great information. Actually, I didn't mention it earlier, but in the private Facebook group, in the featured tab, there are lists of all these episodes with corresponding um, episode numbers on them. So you can find them very easily in your audio apps. Speaking of that, the podcast is completely free. Just subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio and dig right in. I don't talk about this stuff with frequency, but the Juicebox podcast is number 16 today in the United States of America medicine category on Apple Podcasts. It is number 16. It also ranks in, I can't count all these, but the last time I looked, over 45 other countries. That's top 200 in over 45 other countries. Um, number 16 in the U.S., number 80 in Sweden, number 67 in Ireland, 60 in Denmark, 92 in New Zealand. It's 199 in Switzerland today. It was 180 in Saudi Arabia the other day. It's in Austria, South Africa, Portugal, the Philippines, Argentina, we're 83 today, 62 in Malaysia, 58 in Romania. Oh my gosh, number 12 in Bahrain, number 56 in, oh my gosh, sorry, that confused me. I'm in, we're in the top 200 of all podcasts in Bahrain. We're number 15 in Qatar, Bulgaria, Iceland, Egypt, Romania, Slovenia, Nigeria, the United Arab Emirates, Malaysia, the Czech Republic, Finland, Hungary, Singapore, excuse me, Israel, Argentina, Hong Kong, Philippines, Portugal, Poland, Belgium, India, South Africa, Austria. It goes on and on and on. Japan, Italy, Canada, South Korea, Australia, France, anywhere you can think of, this podcast is being consumed. I don't even speak Italy. Do you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Last thing I'm going to tell you is this. I'm just going to scroll down here to reviews. I'm going to go to the most recent reviews. This one's from uh, five days ago. Most of us living with or supporting someone with type 1 diabetes have an occasional wonky glucose day. The day when all the tools in the toolbox don't seem to help. The day when we go to bed with small voice in our head that says, we'll try again tomorrow. The wonky days are when I turn to the juice box podcast. The next one, so helpful, easy, and uh, excuse me, so helpful, especially for newly diagnosed people. My seven and a half year old son was diagnosed with type one three years, months ago. The first thing I did was turn to social media for support. Every single group I joined suggested the juice box podcast. I love Scott's Wegovy diary. I love the Wegovy diary as part of the podcast. This is the best resource for type 1 diabetes information. My young adult child was diagnosed last year. It's so important to me that I learn all I can. On and on. The podcast is a game changer. This uh, type 1's need juice box podcast. I've been a diabetic, this says, for 40 years. Oh my God. Scott has hit a home run with this podcast. Type 1 for 40 years. Diabetes educator with nursing background. Twin mom who works in the diabetes world here. This series has answered so much has answers and so much more. It's always real talk. I've learned, laughed, related, shared, and maybe shed a few tears. That person's talking about the pro tip series. Juiceboxpodcast.com, diabetespro-tip.com. 26 episodes. Listen to them. Let this get easier. It's free. Just go check it out. 
Tell a friend if you enjoyed it. Tell your doctor. Literal lifesaver. Excellent podcast. Heavenly bits. Huge help. This person doesn't like me, but we'll skip over that. Too much information. Never. So helpful. Entertaining and informative. Life-changing. Game-changer. Masterclass in type 1 diabetes management. Scott is a saint. That's not true. I'm not a saint. Great resource. Game-changer. Life-changing. Funny and relatable. Why am I just finding this? Someone here called me a chauvinist. I don't think that's true. A game-changer. So helpful. Life-changing information. My, uh, my, I'm coming to write a review because my brother-in-law has learned so much from your podcast. He looks incredible and feels great. Thanks for making this content available to everyone. I could do this all day with you. Read these over and over again in about every 50, somebody really wouldn't like me. This person calls me self-centered. That seems unfair, but whatever. Actually, two of the people that don't like me are from Great Britain. Do I not go over in the Great Britain as well? Hold on, let's scroll. I'm sorry, at this point. No, Great Britain, number 88. It's just two wackos. Never mind. What am I saying to you here? Please check out the podcast. There's so much information inside of this show. That's why it's broken up in those series in digestible ways for you. I really think that you can get the A1C and the time and range and the happiness and the health that you deserve and want. I think the answers are inside of this show. I hope you go find them.